Earlier this year, I had the opportunity to join a class on Martin Luther King Jr. and Mahatma Gandhi, two very important figures in the tapestry of our shared stories in our nation and our world. And they were also important figures to the Community Church of New York Unitarian Universalist, where I am currently working as a communications coordinator. And I remember these iron busts of Gandhi and King adorning the chancel of Community Church's old sanctuary. The class was taught by two well-known professors at Union Theological Seminary, and I was really excited to be enrolled in the class. And after being waitlisted for half a semester, I got in. Uh, during the first class, the students were invited to introduce themselves and talk about their backgrounds and remark on why they have chosen to take the class. And I wanted to be brief with my answer, so when it came time for me to remark why I decided to take the class, I said, I love peace and I hate violence. Gandhi and King did too. And I'm hoping to learn more about how they put that into action. And I did. I kicked back, thinking I knew exactly what this class will be. I leaned on my previous knowledge of Gandhi and King, all the knowledge I've observed, absorbed through previous classes, all the imagery, the documentaries, and the stories in the media, no prep work needed. I could simply allow the information to wash over me, and I was wrong. Before I continue, a, a small disclosure, and the things that I'm about to say does not seek to discredit or erase or cancel anyone or anything. Uh, Gandhi and King were giants in our history and have valuable contributions to the work of liberation. It's also not fabricated. The information is widely available in scholarly works. And what I'm seeking to do is allow you a window into how I struggled with the new information that was presented to me. There's no denying that Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. is a force. One of the most moving sermons I've heard was the one given at Riverside Church directly opposing the Vietnam War. His assassination came soon after. This was the class where I was exposed to the truth. In this class, I was exposed to the truth about Bayard Rustin a civil rights leader and LGBTQIA plus activist. He worked closely with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in an Indian documentary called Brother Outsider, The Life of Bayard Rustin. He made mention of the fact that Rustin was responsible for the March on Washington, organizing carpools, creating publicity materials, introducing King to the teachings of Gandhi. Rustin was a critical part of the movement in 1960, in the midst of organizing a march against the National Democratic Committee in Los Angeles, Representative Adam Clayton Powell threatened to announce to the public that King and Rustin were in a gay relationship if they continued. King, concerned about his public image, canceled the march and created distance between himself and Rustin. As a gay man, my initial reaction was this was hostile. How could a civil rights leader advance the liberation of a people while impeding the liberation of another? Further on in the class, when I was studying Gandhi, 
I was mostly familiar with his anti-imperialism work and has shaped my own views on how I understand the oppressive nature of imperialism. The class opened my eyes to a lesser known civil rights activist named B.R. Ambedkar and an anti-imperialist activist named Arundhati Roy. And Roy wrote an introduction to a republication of a speech written by B.R. Ambedkar called The Annihilation of Caste. And in this piece of literature, um, B.R. Ambedkar creates the argument that the caste system in India, a system where people were placed in different classes in society and are treated accordingly, um, in Roy's introduction, she sought to humanize Gandhi in a society that defied him. Roy did not take away from the work he has done in the political arena, but she also sought to reflect on Gandhi's original letters and reflections. She pointed out that in his work in South, South Africa, where he fought to have separate and distinct entrances to public facilities for indigenous Africans, Europeans, and Asians, and several other letters that revealed incredibly racist behavior throughout his life. Gandhi also committed sexual experiments, testing the limitations of his own sexual desires with his grandniece and her friend by sleeping naked with them. Roy took the image of Gandhi, in my mind, turned it upside down, and he was no longer the small frail man in the white cloth. How could someone be so vehemently against one type of violence, but using his own power to exact another kind of violence? The problem with synthesizing all of this new information was the inclination to write King and Gandhi off. This was fueled by several emotions mixing inside me, struggling to win inventing and reinventing my base of knowledge and structuring and restructuring my belief systems. There's a dynamic power to our history and the things that we hold true, it can open the doors to healing and empowerment and liberation, but at the same time, it can be destructive and chaotic and an affront to our core beliefs. I remember taking some time away from this class to rest my heart and soul in someone I've been studying independently. The Community Church of New York was and is uh, in a time of great transition. And I've learned from Community Church that a church is not a building, it's a people, a community. One of the more prominent times of this church happened in the mid-1900s during a time of a senior minister by the name of Reverend John Haynes Holmes. Reverend John Haynes Holmes was an American clergyman and social reformer. Holmes was born in Philadelphia, attended school in Malden, which is a suburb of Boston, and Holmes graduated from Harvard University in 1902. He answered a call to ministry at the Church of the Messiah, now called the Community Church of New York. He was an anti-racist. In the early 1900s, he continued to create safe spaces in church where people of all walks of life could worship freely. And this was enshrined in their mission and vision of a church. 
The prevalent anti-racist tradition of the Community Church of New York was evident in Holmes with his co-founding of the National Association of the Advancement of Colored People, the NAACP, and the American Civil Liberties Union, the ACLU. And the, and the church had widely attended open forums where things were discussed about, where, th where things were discussed, issues of the day, the race, culture, and politics. And since shifting public opinion constantly, and was always shifting public opinion constantly towards justice. His sermon that often made headlines and front pages in articles of major newspapers were powerful commentaries about the flaws of society. The interesting thing about his stance on war was that it was unwavering. In 1918, he removed the church's affiliation from the American Unitarian Association because the organization required that all ministers pledged complete support of World War I. He would later join the AUA again shortly before the merger of the Unitarians and the Universalists. Throughout his leadership, he used his strong, high-profile position at the time to work tirelessly to promote peace and pacifism. So I went to work, thinking and dreaming about the things that he would say today, and then I hit another roadblock. In my research, I found out that he was a strong voice for eugenics. And for those who don't know, eugenics is a set of beliefs and practices that aim to improve the genetic quality of a human population. In its moral dimension, eugenics rejected the doctrine that all human beings are born equal and redefined moral worth purely in terms of genetic fitness. And these ideas had incorporated themselves in policies that led to sterilization um, of certain populations, segregation of race, and even the basis of the Nuremberg laws during the rise of Nazi Germany. I found myself at the crossroads once again. Things converging and conflicting, ideologies struggling with each other. The internal struggle of those I've lifted up on a pedestal only to be shown something radically different. Wondering whether or not I should defend or dismiss. But what does that mean for us? How do we move forward when our heroes turn out to be far from perfect? Reflecting on my own life, I thought about the things that I held true and how they've changed over time. I realized that truth is not static and it's always evolving. Our fourth principle calls us to the free and responsible search for truth and meaning because truth evolves and so does our understanding of the world around us. It is in this way we must approach history. We must be willing to engage the material, to sit in the discomfort, and be allowed to, uh, and to allow our truths to evolve, widening our grace and mercy to embrace others in our shared humanity. One thing I was grateful for in this whole ordeal was how my heroes felt closer to me then. I saw myself in them, and then they were next to me, because I was human just like them. 
It reminded me that the potential to do good and evil exists in all of us. It is in this way we must continue the work, not by forgetting or forgiving the past, but by learning from it and using it as a foundation to build a better future. Amen and blessed be. Thank you.